Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. My name's Aaron Hickson. We're glad you're here. I'm normally at the Henrietta campus. That's my job. I'm the campus pastor there, but we're glad you're joining us from any of our Rochester area locations or online. Thanks for joining us. Um, I just want to make one brief comment as we're getting started, and that is related to uh, Drew and why he's not here today. So Drew, and actually Drew's our lead pastor, and he was scheduled to teach this weekend, um, but you might have heard from time to time him talk about their Southern family. So Drew and Ashley spent nearly a decade living in Georgia, and while they were there, they became really close with uh, Rodney and Sydney, uh, a couple that they call their Southern parents, Southern mom and dad, from time to time. And... Um, a few months ago, Rodney, their southern dad, was diagnosed with brain cancer. And so that's, yeah, it's a tough thing. And they felt like it was important that they spend some time with them. So they were able to make that trip. He asked me to jump in. And I just wanted to, one, let you know about that, to ask you to be praying for Drew and Ashley, and of course, Rodney as well. Um, but even just to take a moment here in our service to pray for them. So if you would, let's, let's pray for Drew and Ashley and, and Rodney. God, thanks so much for... Um, Drew and his leadership at our church, thank you so much for how we get to uh, learn from his teaching and his, his example. Um, thank you for what great friends and family they are to, uh, to us and to Rodney and Sydney as well. And I pray that you would heal Rodney. We believe that you can do that. And so we're asking for you to intervene in that way. And then throughout this, that uh, he and Sydney would um, just model what it looks like to follow after you even things, when things are hard. So uh, thank you for your grace to us, and I pray that you'd continue to um, bless that relationship. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, thanks for doing that, and keep Drew and Ashley in your prayers. Um, shifting gears, we're talking about Paul. Uh, but as we, as we get started, I do want to ask you, have you ever had a moment in your life when everything changed? Like a moment that you knew from this point on, my life will never be the same. I've had a, a few moments like that, but one that I'm going to think of that's kind of a it's kind of a silly illustration, but I remember distinctly when the Apple computer operating system first allowed you to send a message from the computer that was an SMS that seemed like it was generated from your phone. Pretty big moment, right? You guys all remember that? No, but I send tons of text messages, especially then I was in doing student ministry and sending all the text messages, and I hate touchscreen devices, okay? This is my texting technique, like two fingers on the touchscreen. And just so you know, if you do, do that, that is a very bad way to text, okay? It's very inefficient, very slow. I'm much faster typing on a keyboard. And so then I could just like send, generate so many more text messages, so much faster with so many fewer typos. And um, it was just like an incredible moment for me. And so if you, I like gathered all my friends and family and we had a party and um, that part's a lie. But if you've ever received a text message from me, it came from my computer. And if I don't respond to you, I'm sorry, I'll respond to you the next time I get to my computer. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was a big moment for me, as silly as it is. I just like, for real, that, that changed the game in my digital communication. And I'm hoping that you have different, cooler, better illustrations of this than I do. But maybe for you, it looked more like a job change or, or something sad, like an accident or a divorce. Or maybe it was a marriage or a gift that you were given or the death of someone close to you. Uh, we all have moments if it hasn't happened to you yet, it's going to happen to you where you look back and there's no universe where that thing that happened, there's no, there's no universe where your life is not impacted by that thing. And in this series, we're exploring the life of a man who changed the world. And we know him as Paul or St. Paul. And he had a moment like this, a moment that changed everything. And we want to explore that moment together today. And I'm hoping that we might find a little bit of ourselves 
in this portion of history as well. So let's jump in to, the, to what we learned from this week. Uh, last week, we introduced Paul, who sometimes is going to be called Saul. Don't be confused by that. He just has two names. Um, he was a leader in the Jewish faith in Jerusalem. This is in the first century, just after Jesus had been doing his thing. And he did not, Paul did not approve of people who followed after Jesus. In fact, where we left the story off last week, he was traveling to a city, the city of Damascus, to go and imprison Christians. But as he's going, Jesus himself confronts him, and he like, there's like a blinding light, Paul's knocked to the ground, and Jesus asks him this poignant question, why are you persecuting me? It's all quite dramatic. <laughs> and that's kind of where we left it. Paul was laying on the ground, talking to a person that he thought was dead, and wondering what in the world is going on. Total cliffhanger. So we're going to continue the story. What happens next? Acts chapter 9, if you want to join me there, we're going to start in verse 6. It says this. Now, this is Jesus speaking to Paul. He says, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Okay. So the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Okay, so Jesus orders Paul to continue on his journey to head to Damascus. He's going to get some more instructions there, but he's got a small problem now. He's blind. Okay, not a good start. So the dudes who are traveling with him, they kind of like grab him by the hand. They're walking him into Damascus. I'm sure they're thinking like, that was really weird, but like, let's let him take a nap. He'll sleep this off and like, we'll do our thing tomorrow. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get after it. But that is not how this is going to go down. Because Saul's life has been forever changed and this is the end of his life as he knew it. And this is, this is our big verse for today, Acts 9, 9. It says this, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. If you're wondering what a game changer moment looks like, this is it. These three days are the turning point. In fact, we're gonna spend most of our time today just exploring what these 72 hours might have been like for Paul. And I feel like it's, it's necessary for me to say we're going to be doing a little bit of speculation, okay? That's kind of necessary. But I'm hoping you'll be able to see it as informed speculation because I want to paint a picture of a little bit of what we know to be true about Paul as a person and then extrapolate a little bit based on that information. And I think while we do that, we're going to be able to learn a little bit about Paul's background and how important this moment was for him going forward. But again, we're going to be diving into a part of his life that the Bible really doesn't say anything else about. And that can be a dangerous thing to do. But I believe that we can come to some very solid, biblically founded conclusions about what was happening based on what we know about Paul as a person. Because I think we would have, Paul would have definitely been answering some very big, important questions during these days. And I want to focus in on four questions in particular that I believe would have been on his mind. Of course, I can't prove that he was fixated on these four in particular, but I think that if you even just study his whole life and especially the rest of his writings that we have recorded in the New Testament, there are some clear indicators about how troubled he was by the baggage of these four questions in particular. Um, so I don't think that we're just coming up with these out of nowhere. And I, I'm choosing to hone in on these four questions in particular for two reasons. The first one is I think that it will 
um, give us an opportunity to talk a lot about Paul's background and who he was. So we're going to learn most about Paul by focusing on these four. And then second of all, because I think these are questions that actually all of us, any of us who are following Jesus or who are considering that will have to answer at some point. So I think that they're important questions. And that's our format for today, uh, to explore how Paul would have been interacting with these big questions during this crucial time. And I want to take you that. I want to take you to that moment to kind of put you in Paul's shoes and see what it might have felt like and looked like from his perspective. So Paul is a man at the top of his game. He's on a mission to do what he feels like he was called by God to do. But right as he nears the moment where he can finally put like his best plan into motion, he is struck blind and confronted with a very uncomfortable fact and forced to spend three days in complete darkness. Can you, can you imagine how crazy this would be? All right? This is so disorienting. He is reeling. His whole good, bad, right, wrong compass has been completely upended. And at the same time, he's hit with this blindness, making him focus even more, not on externals, but what's on going inside of the chaos of his mind. This is like a perfect recipe for a mental breakdown. Like if someone's going to lose it, it's going to be in a moment like this. It's totally crazy. He is sitting here in the dark, hungry, with people in the next room who are expecting him to come to this city to persecute and harm followers of Jesus, while he's in the other room, considering becoming a follower of Jesus. That is the angst that this person has experienced. So let's get inside of his head a little bit. Let's see what's going on. Question number one, I think this would have to have been the one he was asking first, and it's this. How could I have been so wrong about Jesus? How could I have been so wrong? Again, I don't have his journal entry that says like, day one, how could I have been so wrong about Jesus? But it's impossible he wasn't asking that question. He's wondering. I mean, he has taken a very public and very strong stance on this issue. So this would be like a politician changing their mind on a controversial issue. Okay, that's a bad example. <laughs> now that I think about it. Um, it's way crazier than that, all right? Because Paul had literally ordered and threatened murder over people's view of Jesus. I mean, if you're anything like me, if I get into an argument and I really kind of like put myself out there, occasionally, over time, I can be convinced that I was wrong by like, facts and stuff, you know. Um, but if, depending on how hard I've gone on this argument, I can sometimes decide like, look, I'm in too deep. At this point, I don't care about the facts. I don't care if they're right. I'm just digging in my heels because like this far and no further, you know, like I already look dumb and I don't even care. I'm just going to stand right here and take it because I've already like gone public on my stance. And maybe you're not broken like I am, but um, if you ever do that, can you imagine how much more you would dig in your heels if we had made it our public platform that anyone who was a follower of Jesus was so wrong that they should be imprisoned and ultimately killed. That's a pretty strong position to have to go back on. And in Paul's mind, Jesus was a dangerous cult leader who was pulling people away from the truth. And I think it's important that you know he didn't come to that conclusion after reading like a single clickbait BuzzFeed article or something. This was a smart guy he had received the optimal education in the center of the Jewish universe for a person of his stature at the time. 
He spent his life on the lookout for the Messiah. I mean, these guys were fanatical about preparing the way for the Messiah. And now he's discovering that the Messiah that he's waiting for has already come and gone. And not only did Paul miss him when he was here, he is now actively fighting against his movement on this earth. Can you imagine the pride and the embarrassment and like the, all the emotions that are just like spiking in him? Confusion. I mean, he had been so very wrong about Jesus. And he had to come to fully embrace what that would mean going forward. And I just imagine these three days, the chaos inside of his head. But this question isn't one actually that's just for Paul. It's for us too. Because if you're not sure where you stand with Jesus or your view of him or whatever, then this is a question that you will inevitably have to wrestle with if you're ever going to begin following him. Like maybe you used to believe in Jesus at some point in your life, but then, you know, life happened and the way that the world works and what he did to you and what she said about you. And it just kind of made you come to the conclusion that like if Jesus is real, he's distant and he's kind of a jerk and all Christians are hypocrites and they lie all the time and like, I just can't deal. Or maybe you've never really had any confidence in Jesus and you've made that pretty public um, and clear to everyone. So you're the kind of the person maybe who re- mocks religious people at work, like, oh yeah, people who need a crutch or whatever. Maybe you're not overtly antagonistic against Christianity, but you're more of the kind of person who you've always harbored a little bit of intellectual superiority. Like, yeah, you know, if people want to believe in fairy tales, that's good, but that's, that's not for me. And so honestly, if you're in any of those positions or others, the idea of reversing that and going all in on Jesus is kind of terrifying, just like it would have been for Paul. You would have a lot of people who are going to look at you funny the next time this comes up at work. Thanksgiving is going to be awkward, but for a different reason this year. And you're not sure you're ready for that. You're not sure that you're ready to enter the intellectual chaos and reevaluate your entire view of who Jesus is. And I just got to say, we are glad you're here. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to show up in a room somewhere on a Sunday morning where you know you're going to be around people who disagree with you on this. Because around here, we're convinced that Jesus is utterly amazing. He's worth following with your entire life. And we actually think that if you're not there yet, that you're wrong about him. And so we get it. It's probably terrifying to reevaluate your position, but we would love to walk through that chaos with you. I know that sounds weird, but we really would. And I think Paul showing this example of being up against a really tough question maybe will inspire you to take that first step, to think this through maybe for the first time or to really begin starting this journey. Because I'm convinced Paul was asking this question and I think there are some here today who need to ask the same one. How could I have been so wrong? But what else is Paul asking? I think the next most obvious question would have simply been, will Christians ever accept me? Will Christians ever accept me? This question had to come pretty quickly after the first one, because think about it. He doesn't just have to publicly admit like, yeah, okay, I was wrong about that thing. He also has to face the people that he had thrown in jail and say, hey, can I be on your team now? Like this is not like a chocolate and flowers kind of thing that people are just going to get over it. He's going to have to ask not just for forgiveness, but for acceptance and then ultimately protection from the same people who have dead family members because of him. 
I mean, think of it, Stephen's family. Stephen was the guy who last week we found out was killed for his faith in Jesus. And Paul oversaw and approved that process of Stephen's killing. And I'm just wondering, is his family going to be excited that Paul is going to show up at the next gathering of believers? Are they going to be cool with that? What, what do you think? I mean, for those who maybe had been beaten on his orders, I'm thinking, if I'm Paul, I'm going like, how am I going to ask, give a hug to a guy who's back doesn't even have scabs yet from the beating that I ordered inflicted on him. Why would that guy ever want to be around me? I'm sure he's thinking, I have done far too much damage to ever be accepted by that community. But at the same time, he also knows, I can't go back to my former way of life. I can't go back to the people I used to be with. And now at this point, they're going to be looking to imprison and beat him. So he can't, he can't go anywhere. And this reality has to be plaguing him. I will never be accepted by Christians, but I can't go back to my former way of life. But again, while that's a hard question, I don't think it's unique to him. Obviously, your situation probably isn't identical, but all of us have to wonder at some point, am I acceptable? Maybe you feel like you're the kind of person whose past is just too messy. Your criminal record makes you feel like a second-class citizen permanently, and no Christians are ever going to be able to be on your team. Or maybe you feel like you're going to show up at group and you're going to say it the wrong way and it's just going to be obvious you've been out of church for so long and people are going to kind of roll your eyes. One of those, okay. Or maybe you've kind of made it hard on the Christians in your life. <laughs> you've picked on them enough that joining your ranks is a no, and on, joining their ranks is a, kind of a no-win because you know the Christians are going to be skeptical of you. And if you become a Christian, then you're opening yourself up to the same line of jokes that you've been dishing out forever. So you refuse to even consider life with Jesus. Saying Christians could never accept me. And I just got to say, Paul was there too. And during these three days, he wrestled with the same insecurity and fear that you might be dealing with right now. But that wasn't all. <laughs> there are other questions that had to have been on his mind. The next one might have been this. How much is this going to cost me? How much is this going to cost me? And I think it's a perfectly valid guy. I mean, perfectly valid question for a guy in his position. It would have been pretty easy for a guy as smart as him to do a little bit of napkin math as he's thinking this through. Just like, oh, let me do like a rough estimate of how much I think this is going to cost. Just kind of like in round figures, I would say that this reversal of my religion is going to cost me approximately everything. Absolutely everything. I mean, this is a guy in the elite ruling class of his day. He's highly educated. He's a citizen of both the ruling country of Rome and his native people of Israel. He has the perfect pedigree for a future rising political star. He's basically groomed for success politically in his time. But he knows the moment he goes public with his pro-Jesus platform, he's done. Done. Completely done. Every connection he had in his previous life immediately would dry up. And not just in the sense that they're not going to help him anymore. They're going to be actively working against him. And this isn't just paranoia. Like, you might think like, oh, Paul, you're, you know, you're exaggerating. This is actually exactly what we see happen to him down the road. For the rest of his life, he is looking over his shoulder from his former friends who want him dead. That's not an exaggeration. Literally the rest of his life. These people are the actual reason at the end of his life that he is arrested, tried, and put to death because of these people. And so 
it's his fear that this is going to cost him everything, it's 100% valid. It actually did. And so for you, it might not feel like it's quite that dramatic, but I would have to imagine if you're contemplating a switch to following Jesus, you probably realize this is not a decision I can take lightly because it's going to cost you. I mean, whether it's your influence at work because now you know you can't make deals the same way you did or your wife who's just going to roll her eyes because like, oh, he finally drank the Kool-Aid, like crazy people. Or maybe you know like with your kids this is going to be tough because, you know, you've never really prioritized Sundays before. And so now like you're wanting to go to church every weekend and they're like, what is this? What is going on? You know what's going to cost. But the thing is, it's going to cost all of us, even if we've been following Jesus for what seems like forever. It's Paul who actually would later end up writing that dying for the sake of following Jesus is actually great gain. In other words, he expected that this would cost all of us our actual lives. Jesus actually even told his followers early on, you can read about it in Luke 14 sometimes if you want to jot that down. He actually told people like, hey, don't follow me unless you do the math first. Like, count the cost before you get in this thing, because it's not going to be easy. So, like, do a little bit of homework. Don't start and then realize you're not ready. So this goes for us, too. I mean, I mean, if following Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, if it's never cost you anything, that's, that's concerning. Like, if you're not regularly asking, I don't know if this is worth it, you might not be pursuing all that God has for you. And Paul certainly thought I'm sure, is this too much? Like, I know my career is over. And so he, would he have spent these three days just like a never-ending loop on repeat, wondering whether or not he was ready to pay that price? But I think the final question is a pivotal one that will propel us through the rest of this segment of Paul's life these couple of days. And the question is this, where do I go from here? I think that's the question you would have been asking. Where do I go from here? There is no doubt in my mind that Paul was a man of action. He was a man of action. I mean, he was a prolific world traveler in a time in world history when world travel was not normal and it was not easy. So when he went in on something, I mean, my man went in, okay? So when he decided, all right, I'm going to be following Jesus. I'm going to do this thing. I'm sure he would have been kind of like, like salivating. Like, what's next? Okay, okay come on. Like, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, where's the Jesus headquarters? Do I like knock on the door? Like, hey, I'm in. Like, what, what do I do? Where, where am I supposed to go? He would have been looking for next steps. And so God sets it up that he gets a very clear set of instructions and he gets it through a person that we're introduced to in the next verse, chapter 10. I'm sorry, chapter nine, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. There he is. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. I don't know why everyone's always so chill. Like, I would not have been like, yes, Lord. <laughs> Whatever. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come, that's you, bro, and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Okay, so we've got a dude named Ananias. He's living in Damascus. He gets a special visit from Jesus, just like Paul did, except for this one apparently involves a lot less blinding light. Um, and he gets a very surprising set of instructions. Let me summarize what it was. It was, first of all, go to this prominent leader's house in your city, who, by the way, is sympathetic to the cause of arresting Christians. Okay, so go to his house on Main Street and ask for a very bad guy who is a stated enemy of your existence. 
and then miraculously restore the sight of that very bad dude. Any questions? I would have had a lot of questions. Okay, like my very first question is, how am I fixing his eyesight? Okay, like, am I an ophthalmologist? Like, what, what are we doing here? Like, how am I fixing this guy's eyes? And then my next question would have been, like Saul, like, like the Saul, like are we talking about the same Saul? Because, because Saul, look at what he says. He actually said, this, that's a paraphrase of what he actually said. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem and that I'm low-key scared is coming for me. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He's freaking out too, okay? And I love these like, I've heard reports. Okay, there's no Twitter here, people. There's not like a live action reporter on scene in Jerusalem looking for the very mad Saul. Like, word of mouth is spreading and Christians are freaking out. There's a very bad, very angry, very dangerous dude on his way from Jerusalem. And the Christians in Damascus, they're in bunker mode ever since they heard about Saul coming. And now Ananias is like, wait, not only do I come out of hiding, I have to show myself to the guy we're scared of? I mean, imagine if we get a report that ISIS is like burning its way across New York State and Rochester is its final destination. And then we're told, oh yeah, just so you know, the RPD has been told to fully comply with any of the requests of ISIS. Oh boy. Right? I mean, we're freaking out. That's what's going on here. That's what Ananias is feeling. He has to go directly to the bad guy, and he's not sent as like this powerful warrior to smite the bad guy. He's going to heal him. Like, why? So it's easier for him to find us down the road? Like, what are we doing? This is crazy. But what's crazier is that Ananias does it. What is going on? How does Jesus convince him? He convinces Ananias by telling him what Paul's future was going to be. He convinces him by laying out Paul's next steps. Look at this in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. Wow. Ananias now knows this guy is not just a bad dude who needs a new set of glasses. He's dealing with a very special person. And if Paul is wondering what's next, I'm assuming that this would clarify it. What a calling. This is amazing. God steps into time and completely redirects this dude's life and says, you are my guy. You are my chosen instrument to get this job done. But what, what is it about this guy in this time, in this place that God saw would be a good plan? Well, I think in terms of the world history to this point, it's kind of a perfect time because there's a unified language across the known world. That was rare. There was also a peace that Rome had kind of instituted through it taking over everything. That was a big deal. That made a difference. There's also a series of super highways we call Roman roads that made travel across the ancient world possible in a way it had never been before. And into that geopolitical moment, he inserts a Roman citizen with a perfect Jewish background, an Ivy League education, and a brilliant mind who was sold out for following God. The perfect tool for the job. And that's the man we're studying. That is the Apostle Paul. 
And this calling doesn't just result in him being a big deal to Christians. Because <laughs> like, so what? Like, so a bunch of Christians think a guy from their past is a big deal, fine. But this calling results in not just being a big deal to us. I mean, you could, not just Christian scholars, non-Christian scholars would agree that Paul is arguably and likely the most influential writer to ever live. I mean, think of a facet of our civilization that's not impacted by this one man's writing. Ethics, politics, you know, the history of law, religion, psychology, it's all impacted by this man's writing. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because he was God's chosen instrument at a very crucial time in world history. So what was Paul's next step? Paul's next step was to step into God's calling for his life to be his chosen instrument. So Ananias steps up to Jesus' instruction. He follows through in verse 17. It says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, I'm guessing tentatively, (laughs) placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul. What? That's amazing. Brother Saul. He says, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, (laughs) as if Paul needed like a reminder, like, oh, right, 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 that Jesus. Yeah, 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 okay. He has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And there we have it. The persecutor becomes a follower. The enemy becomes family. And Ananias does his job. He serves as the bridge for Paul from his former life to his new life. And Saul becomes a follower of Jesus, one who is full of the Holy Spirit. And immediately, I love this, immediately, he takes the radical step of obedience and publicly risks his life by getting baptized. This is his signal to everyone around him, like, hey, I just changed teams. His baptism is arguably the most controversial and dangerous in the entire Bible. And God used Ananias in this pivotal moment to bring Paul's former life to a close. And now for Paul, the past is the past. And as he would say later, forgetting what is behind, I press on to what lies ahead as God's chosen instrument. I mean, what an incredible turn of events. And I think in verse 15, we find something of a purpose statement for Paul's life. Uh, we didn't read the whole thing before, and I, I just want to read it in Acts 9:15. This is Jesus speaking. He said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So look at those three components. Look at them with me. The, Jesus' prediction about what was coming in Paul's life was he would have ministry to the Gentiles, he would have a ministry to the Jews, and he would end up experiencing a great deal of suffering. So Jews, Gentiles, and suffering. And we're gonna use those three categories to frame our teaching for the next six weeks. Um, we, we know we obviously can't cover every detail of Paul's life, so this was a helpful grid for us to evaluate. How do we put together the pieces of Paul's life? And Jesus predicted he would have ministry to Jews and Gentiles and that he would suffer a lot. And so we're gonna use that as sort of our grid to move throughout the next six weeks so that we can see how true that prediction was in his life. But what about us? What's next for all of us based on what we've heard today? Where do we go from here? I think that like Paul, we need to ask that last question about what's next for me. Um, Unfortunately, we can't expect a friend 
who had a vision of Jesus to show up in our life and tell us what's next. But I think there are a few things from this story that can guide us. And I think the first thing I would ask you if you're wondering what's next is just this question. Have you had your moment? Have you had your moment? Is there a time in your life when you can look back and say your trajectory was changed? Um, you know, maybe it wasn't as dramatic as Paul's, but regardless, I guess the question is, uh, that I'm asking is, have you ever placed your faith in Christ? And believe me, we do not think this is a decision that should be taken lightly. That's why I'm not going to ask you to do anything in this moment necessarily. But if you're wrestling with this and you're wondering, we want to get your questions answered. Like maybe there are things that you feel like are legitimate obstacles to you moving forward. We want to help you overcome those obstacles of belief. That's totally fine. In fact, we assume you will, you will, and we encourage you to explore those obstacles. We believe that our faith is robust enough to overcome those obstacles, so we encourage you to explore them. And that's why there are two environments at all of our campuses available for people to explore this. The first one is called Starting Point, and the next one is called Community Groups. Starting Point is literally designed for someone to ask these questions. Again, it's available at all of our campuses, and if you're kind of like starting faith or restarting faith or whatever it is, your perspective, if you're just kind of questioning things, this is for you. It's a discussion-based environment for you to ask anything that you would like, dialogue with other people, see what God's word says, and come to a place where you can um, get over those hurdles of belief. That's literally what it's for. There is no question off limits. It's a regular occurrence that somebody says, I think that all of this is nonsense. We're glad you're here. But then community group is another great environment where you can be trusted, you can be uh, challenged in your faith to be held accountable by more mature believers who can walk alongside you and help you grow. Both of those environments you can get plugged into just by checking the box on your connections card. At any of our campuses, use that connection card on the bottom of your program or online. You can use the connect tab, whatever, however you want to let us know. Starting point community group, we will love to get you plugged in so that you can get those questions answered. And if you're here and you haven't trusted Christ, I would just challenge you. Check that box, but talk to the person who brought you. That's a great next step. Or maybe just go to the next sign in the lobby of your campus. Afterwards, there's kind of a frenzy of people there. Just walk right up to somebody and say like, look, I got questions about faith that I need answers to. That's a great way to do it. Or if you're an introvert and the idea of talking to a random stranger actually sounds scarier than reevaluating your worldview, um, which I understand. I mean, that's not me, but I understand. Um, Use your connections card. Just indicate on there that you've got questions about faith. We will follow up with you in a non-threatening, you know, email or text or whatever, and we'll make sure that you can get answers. We want to help you. But if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, I think one thing that you could take from this story is the example of Paul. My man does not wait one minute. He is immediately baptized when he places his faith in Christ. And I hope you're challenged by that. I mean, you can start your baptism process today. I know you might feel like, oh, we just had open baptism. I kind of missed my moment. You did not miss your moment. We can get you started on that process today. Paul risked his life to go public. Have you taken that step? And then I think there's one final lens that might help those um, here who are Christ followers already that we could use to evaluate what's next for us. And that's this question, I mean this statement. For every Paul, there is an Ananias. For every Paul, there is an Ananias. Yeah, Paul is the guy who goes on to be incredibly influential, and he's the famous one for sure. But Ananias also played a very important role. It's just one that doesn't get the same airtime. What we need to notice about Ananias is that he did a few things very well. First of all, I think this is important. His ministry to Paul was at a very raw time. 
So he stepped in, and it was important that in that moment he had the right balance of boldness and comfort. That was something that he had to bring to the table. And his timely ministry is what God used to springboard Paul into what is ultimately a crazy future. Ananias was the first Christian to be on Team Paul. And let me tell you, that was a lonely place to be. But he went there with boldness to provide a timely set of ministry to a man who would make a difference. So his ministry was at a raw time, but then second of all, he was faithful to his calling. He didn't try to take Paul's spot as like the big guy moving forward. He wasn't like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I led him to the Lord. So he's not like flexing on that. He just did what God led him to do, and then he stepped out of the way. And I think it's important that we see our role as believers who have been following Jesus for a while, that we play that role in other people's lives. There are people in your group who need your timely, faithful ministry. You don't need to do everything for them. You couldn't do everything for them. You don't even know where their life is headed. But God has placed them in your life for this season for a reason. So be there for them. Show them the right way at this crucial time. Step into your role as a mature believer, not to continue like this weird process of self-gratification and growth, but ministry to others at pivotal times in their development. Who knows who you might be able to influence? Who knows what their future might hold as you faithfully obey God's calling on your life? We all have a step to take. And let's pray together and ask for God's strength to do that. God, we're grateful for uh, your love for us and the fact that you used Paul. I mean, Paul was the one who would later claim that he wasn't something special. In fact, he was the worst of sinners. He was the chief. He was the boss of all sinners. And yet he said that he would boast in his weakness because in his weakness you have made him strong. We want to do nothing but make you famous, God. Please give us the ability to do that. And for those here today who are evaluating whether or not they want to take a step of faith to believe in you, pray that you give them the courage to do it. In Christ's name. Amen. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what's next for you. I, I don't know all the steps that all of us need to take, but I know that there are believers here today who have been following Jesus for a while. Oh man, you've got a chance this week in group to do it a little differently. M maybe you're a mature believer who's a part of our church and you're not in a group. Man, goodness, get in one. We, you don't just need it for you. We need you in it to be an Ananias to a Paul. We need your leadership and encouragement and maturity. Get into a group, reinvigorate your desire to make a difference, to do life together, to apply the Bible with others. And maybe you're somebody who, again, is contemplating Christianity. So this whole thing is kind of like, this feels like your three days in Damascus, however long this season's been, like just all the chaos in your head. And I would encourage you that maybe today is the day where you take a small step where you maybe find that Ananias in your life. Maybe it's the person who brought you, or you walk up to that next sign in the lobby and there's like a lot of other activities. You can kind of, here's a pro tip, you can kind of act like you're just looking for like, hey, I'm looking for more information about our church. And they're like, everyone thinks it's just like a normal thing. And then you're like, Loki, I have questions about faith. Like, pro tip, if you want to do it that way, we'll roll with the punches, okay? Um, but whatever you want to do, please take a step. We'd love to help you do that. And again, you can use your card in any way that's helpful. I recognize that maybe you have school or work off tomorrow, and so this is a weekend where you could have been doing a lot of things, and we're grateful that you would join us uh, on a Sunday morning, spend some of your time learning and growing with us. If you want more resources, always check out paulseries.com. The daily information that's been coming to me has been super helpful. I've been learning and growing through that. We also have a podcast that'll release tomorrow night uh, with Drew and I just continuing to talk through some of this stuff. So we would love to engage with you during this week. If you're newer, love to meet you out at next, and I'll be 
down front after the service if you want to talk. Thanks for seeing, being here. We'll see you guys next week.